Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Sinemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have our friend um, Dick Foth with us back for a session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into our uh, conversation with Dr. Derwin Gray, Pastor Dr. Derwin Gray um, on sandcastles and the Lord's Prayer. And that's just an insightful conversation with, uh, with him. Dick, so excited to have you back on the podcast with us. Thank you, Aaron. Every time I come on, I enjoy it. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I enjoy just uh, what you're about and getting to be a part of it. So thanks. And it's an honor. It's an honor to, to spend time with you. Dick, I got two questions. Um, two different uh, people sent these in, so it's not from the same person. Two different people. The first question is, what are some cultural questions you, you see and that you think are valuable for the church to be thinking about um, today? You know, culture is an interesting word. Um, I have a friend who defines culture this way. Culture is created by what we affirm and what we stigmatize. Hmm. What we say is good and yeah. what we say is not good. Yeah. I li- and in, in addition to that, I like the, the biological definition of culture, which you as a, as a PhD in nursing could... Uh, could appreciate and culture in biological terms means to maintain conditions suitable for growth. Hmm. So, well, life, having a culture that allows for questions and Hmm. and encourages questions. Are to discovery. So the question is, or the thought is, how do we foster an atmosphere hmm. in any group, any family, any organization, any mission-based enterprise? How do we foster an atmosphere where questions are valued hmm. and encouraged? Hmm. Uh, especially, you know, authentic questions. There, there are some questions that are asked just to twist the lion's tail. Yeah, but, but I, I think. A questioning cult- culture yeah. suggests that somebody's actually thinking about something. Yeah. And so that's one piece. Second piece would be if scriptures are central to our understanding of God and ourselves, uh, and if we believe that scripture is right, I'm putting that in quotes, yeah. and life giving, I'm putting that in quotes, how are we making that real and available? Hmm. And by that, I mean, my friend Gordon Fee, years ago, so a New Testament scholar, said things are not right because they're in the Bible. Hmm. Because they are right, hmm. they're in the Bible. Wow, Even if the Bible wasn't written, these things would still be right. Yeah. So we live in an age within the church, yeah. tremendous biblical illiteracy. Hmm. You can say to a lot of people, old or young, so what do you what do you think about the story of David and Bathsheba? Mm. Or what do you think about Joseph and whatever? And you know, it's it's like there's no cognition at all. Yeah. So what we have taken for granted in the last fifty to hundred years, let's say, isn't in play at all. Mm. So how do we um provide training in scriptural thinking or in the text itself for people. Mm. I would recommend, by the way, 
this enterprise called the Bible Project. Hmm. The Bible Project, you can Google, goes through most of the entire, maybe the whole Bible by now, where you can look at every book in the Bible, and it's animated, and it's like seven minutes a pop. Perfect for people who have trouble focusing like me. So anyway, that's that's another piece. Third piece is this. Back in 1961, Marshall McLuhan, a Canadian, wrote an article called The Medium is the Message. And essentially it's saying, whatever I think my message is, how I do what I do is the real message. Hmm. Maya, Maya Angelou, the famous poet laureate of, of years past, said it this way. I can, I can forget what you said. Hmm. I can forget what you did. Hmm. But I can never forget how you made me feel. Wow. And so, so how I do what I do is the real message. For example, Jesus could say, I love you. Yeah. But when he goes to the cross and takes my sin, that's the message. Yeah. So especially in mission enterprises, I think it's critical. And yeah. so uh, one of the, just, just a couple things about what are practices that really express the kingdom. The how yeah. is... You know, I need to understand that people are not static, they're moving, Hmm. that each person is unique, and that if I operate by categories, which is easy, Hmm. it doesn't give a chance for the kingdom to show up in ways that it should. Anyway, that's sort of the... Wow. Operating by categories. Could you just go just a little bit deeper on that? Sure. Well, it's easy. It's it's easy for me to say, well, you know, all West Virginians are toothless. I, I just know that, you know, <laughs> you said that I didn't say that. I but did. I said, I'm that. Just saying, yeah. you know, and you can look at me and say, well, I know how old bald guys are. <laughs> well, you don't, you know, yeah. how one old bald, bald guy is sort of, you know, yeah. and I think we operate and, and yes, we have to have categories. We say, well, those are Americans or those right. are, you know, whatever. Right. But, um, categories, are an easy way to talk about things. But Hmm. when I put people in them, Hmm. instead of being explanatory, Hmm. they become um, prisons. Wow. And people say, what do you think about this group? What do you, what do you think? What do you think about those Irish people from whom you are descended folk? What do you think? And I have to say, which one? Yeah. Hmm. Because categories help me talk. They just don't help me think correctly. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a, a tweetable quote there. Um, a tweetable quote there. Dick, second question. Um, when you are trying to discern someone's cultural perspective and view, um, where do you begin? And, and how, do you, how fast do you get to the sensitive, sensitive issues of the day? Um is instilled in my early years Hmm. and it's accumulated yeah so over time i create my own internal culture if you will so my thing you've heard me say this but on a one note listen to people's stories yeah use those questions i spoke of yeah earlier yeah to to unearth what makes a person tick to be able to ask somebody you know you say something to me and i say well aaron where did that come from Hmm. like in your in your in your history, where where did that statement come from? Or yeah. who was there in your life that left their fingerprints on your soul? Hmm. So that became a lens through which you see the world. I mean, how does a guy 
from West Virginia get to East Africa? How's that work? Yeah. You know, those sorts of things. Yeah. And I've, I've already commented on uh, the idea that, that I will understand your culture yeah. when I see your bank account and, or your, and your calendar for where sure. you spend your time and money. Yeah. And so, and, and the issues of the day, because the, the question is how fast do you get to the sensitive issues of the day? Yeah. I don't have an answer to that hmm. and, until I know who that individual is hmm. that you're speaking to and what might be her sensitive issue hmm. might be another person her age. It wouldn't be that, that person's sensitive That's issue. That's good. So, but it's not possible for me to understand how you think about today Hmm. without me understanding something, at least, of how you thought about yesterday. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. No, insightful and, um, yeah, and gold, gold as always. Dick, really appreciate you being with us on the podcast. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Dr. Derwin Gray, um, where we talk about sandcastles. We talk about uh, the illustration of sandcastles and talk about the, the Lord's Prayer and just have a phenomenal time with him. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with uh, a new friend, Dr. Derwin Gray. Um, I just got finished reading his book uh, a day or two ago, and it really spoke to me. And so, so excited to be, have the opportunity to be, um, to spend some time and learn from him today on the podcast. Dr. Gray, would you go ahead and introduce yourself to those who might um, have not read your book, book or books yet, and uh, as I have? Yeah, so uh, I am Vicky's husband. We've been married for <laughs> 29 years. Uh, we met uh, my freshman year in college at Brigham Young. I was 18. She was 19. Uh, I am Presley's dad. She's 25. And Jeremiah's dad, he is 21. Yeah. I'm the co-founder, along with my wife, of Transformation Church. We are an 11-year-old church right outside of the Charlotte, North Carolina area. We are an intentionally multi-ethnic, multi-generational, mission-shaped community. We love Jesus. We love people. And God has been incredibly gracious to us. Uh, before uh, I was a church planter, uh, I played six years in the National Football League, uh, five years with the Indianapolis Colts from 1993 to 1997. And I played for the Carolina Panthers in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1998. I didn't grow up in the, in the church. I actually came to faith through a teammate when I was with the Colts. Uh, every day after practice, he would take a shower, dry off, wrap a towel around his waist, and he would get his Bible. And he'd ask my teammates, do you know Jesus? And not growing up in a church background, I was like, bro, do you know you're half naked? I mean, <laughs> so uh, I asked the veterans on the team, like, who is this guy? And they were like, that's the naked preacher. <laughs> so his, uh, his real name was Steve Grant, but his nickname was the naked preacher. And so over a five-year period, uh, I watched him live out the gospel. Yeah. And we would talk about the gospel throughout the years and on road trips. And eventually on August 2nd, 1997, in a small dorm room, my fifth year in, in, uh, in training camp, uh, I remember after lunchtime, I, I just, I just, I was just broken and, and it made no sense because externally, you know, I was at the height of my powers. I mean, money, 
the woman, the great career, but I, I knew there was more. I knew I needed forgiveness, even though I didn't know what that meant, but I, the Holy Spirit was calling me. And so when I got back to the dorm room, I, uh, I called my wife on the phone. I said, I want to be more committed to you and I want to be committed to Jesus. And I believe that that's when I was made new. I believe that's when I was born again. I, I sensed the love of God. I felt the love of God. And for three nights, I, I just cried before bed, just going, how could someone like Jesus love somebody like me? Hmm. And I still haven't gotten over that unrivaled grace. Yeah. And uh, I grew up as a compulsive stutterer. Hmm. Um, I didn't like to read anything except for my, my football playbook and business journals about investing, because that's what I wanted to do when I got done playing. Yeah. But when Jesus grabbed a hold of my heart, I just developed this knack and this gifting for theology hmm. and being able to communicate the gospel. It was, it was just, it was such a, only God could do that type of thing. Amen. And so, Amen. and here we are today. Amen. Amen. From Nairobi to the United States. So uh, excited to be with you for sure. Are you in Kenya? I'm in Nairobi, Kenya. Yeah, I have a map, oh, of, West, I have a map of West Virginia behind me. Um, that's the state that I'm from, but I'm in Nairobi, Kenya today. Yep. Oh, man. You see, you need to invite a brother to Kenya. I need to come <laughs> over there now. I did a I did a DNA test. And so I don't have any Kenyan in me, but I got a lot of Nigerian and Western okay. African continent sure, in me. Sure. And I got 23% European in me too. So we might be oh, cousins. That's for sure. But hey, you're more than welcome. And we'd love to have you for sure. <laughs> for sure. One of the, you mentioned, um, you know, in your testimony about you had exteriorly all those things. And one of the, the yeah. illustrations you used in the book that really jumped out to me was this illustration of sandcastles. Um, yeah. It caught my attention really. And it made me ponder the, the sandcastles that, you know, that might be currently in my life. Can you share just a little about how God laid that on your heart and um, and why that or what are some of the reasons that that's an important message for for us today? Because it really jumped out to me. Yeah, you know, um, so my family loves the beach and I love the beach because they love the beach. And you'll watch kids just build sandcastles. And I don't know if they know it, but inevitably the tide rises and it just washes it all away. Yeah. And so I think specifically uh, in an American context where we just have so much yeah. that we have replaced the Holy Spirit's power. We have replaced um, the gospel with the good gifts that God gives us. And we have a veneer mm -hmm. of religiosity. Mm -hmm. And so I think what the pandemic did, and I think what the racial division in America, also the political craziness. I mean, thank God you're over in Kenya. You don't have to experience like these <laughs> five-year-olds trying to run this country. Um, but what it did was it exposed hmm. the lack of rootedness and how we have built our lives on these sandcastles. Hmm. And it really goes right back to the illustration of Christ. As he says, hmm. you know, when you build your life on me, the rock, yeah. right? Yeah. Versus sand. And so the pan has just shown how religious we were, but not as rooted in Christ hmm. as we needed to be. And, and that is such a big difference yeah. is <clears throat> I would define 
the religiosity as, yeah, Jesus is my savior and I pray, pray to him. He gives me good things. I pay my tithes. I, I go to church and it's kind of like a very transactional type of a thing hmm. instead of a transformational hmm. relationship. And so when the bottom is torn out from beneath us, it's like we hit rock bottom, but that's really good because Jesus is the rock. Hmm. And so I think this crisis is driving us deeper to Christ. And one of the ways that you know that you're clinging to Christ, that you're building your life on the rock is a desire to pray, hmm. but not to pray for God to give you more stuff. Hmm but for God to give you more of him. Hmm. And that's what I'm trying to write and to communicate yeah. through God. Do you hear me? Yeah. Because so often we view prayer from a very consumptive perspective. It's hmm. God, I'm coming to you because I want you to do something for me instead of God. I'm coming to you because you've already done the greatest thing hmm. for me. You have you have rescued me from the dominion of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of the son that you love in him, Jesus. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins isn't just the elementary of the faith. Hmm. Forgiveness of sins is, is Paul's way of saying a new exodus. We're, we're set yeah. free from the power of sin. We're set free from the penalty of sin. Dark powers have been defeated. We're in the kingdom of the son you love. Hmm. And so when you're with the king, you want to be in his presence because where there's presence, there's his power. Yeah. Where there's his presence is his provision. And so Matthew 6, 8 and Matthew 6, 32, Jesus is like, basically, listen, the Gentiles, the pagans, all they do all day, all day long is ask God for stuff. They're gods. Hmm. It's not that way with our God. So that's why he starts with our father. Hmm. 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 Good word. Good word. So you, you shared that this idea of God, do you hear me? Um, how, how does that impact? Or you talked about how it impacts our, our daily prayer life. Have you ever been in a place where you are maybe in a situation uh, going through a difficult time and uh, said that, God, do you hear my prayers? God, do you hear, hear me calling out to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. More than one time. And um, the reality is before the new heavens and new earth comes, it's probably going to be many more times. Hmm. Uh, I know several years ago, a loved one was going through a very, very challenging time. Hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, Lord, you literally parted the Red Sea. You hmm. literally rose from the dead. You literally, you literally spoke a word and the universe leapt into existence. Hmm. But do you hear me crying out on behalf of my loved one? Hmm. And the reality is, is he has. Hmm. And the reality is, is before I ever spoke, he heard me. That's why he went to the cross. And that's why he rose from the dead. Yeah. Every promise is fulfilled in Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20 and 21. He is God's yes and amen. Hmm. So yes, he, he, if Jesus himself was not spared from trials and tribulations and hardships and betrayal, we're not. Hmm. So the goal is not for God to quote unquote spare us. It's for God to transform us and what the enemy means for evil, God turns into good. And so what I would say is if there's never 
God do you really walking boldly with because there's going to be circumstances where you're at the precipice of going, okay, Lord, if you don't show up, this is not going to happen. Do you give me? So what I tried to do is create a framework that yes, God hears you. And yes, God according to how you want answered. So when we look at the Lord's prayer, which um, even after writing the book, I am more and more convinced that Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. Mm. In Matthew 6, 9, he says this, therefore, when you pray, you should pray like this. In the Greek language, the word prayer is written as a command for a continuous habit. Hmm. So this isn't like an option. This isn't a suggestion. This is a command. Yeah. Now, the problem, particularly with Protestants or people who are evangelical, I hate using that word because it's been so stripped, but even Evangelical, evangelon means people of the good news, not of politics, people of the good news. So it's people of the good news. Hmm. Our king says, when you pray, you pray like this. And so the Lord's prayer starts with our father. Hmm. So in the first part of the book, I break down of who our father is. Hmm. You know, he's holy. He's he's separate. You know, hmm. your kingdom come. Mm. on earth as is in heaven. So notice there's no asking of anything now. It's affirming. And what does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like Jesus. Mm. God wants to reproduce the ministry and mission of Jesus in us through the Holy Spirit's power. Mm. And then it moves into daily bread. God gives us what we need. And and let me say this, and let me park here, because this is really, really important. For and sure. I know we're, we're talking to people who may be international missionaries or vocational ministry. Please be careful of poverty theology, which mm-hmm. says the poorer I am, the more godly I am. That's false. Mm-hmm. Be careful of prosperity theology. The more I have, the more godly I am. That's mm-hmm false. Hmm. Give us today our daily bread, right? Hmm. So Jesus wants to meet our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs with himself. Hmm. Now, some of us may have the gifting to amass large account, uh, 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 amounts of money or re- re- resources. Our excess is someone else's provision. It's never about hmm. We're blessed to be blessed, but be careful with the poorer I am, the more spiritual I am, the Hmm. richer I am, the more spiritual I am. Hmm. Um, God's provision for you is for you uniquely for the context that you are in. But nevertheless, give us today our daily bread. Jesus is the bread of life. And in John 6, when Jesus says he's the bread of life, he's talking to his Jewish kinsmen, and they would have known in the Exodus manna or bread from heaven fell down for what? To give you enough provision for the day. And so even so, even when we're eating, right? It, it, it's not just, let's just do this cursory, let's say a prayer to God, but to really be thankful, like when we breathe in oxygen, it doesn't have to be that way. It's, hmm. it's literally a gift, right? Hmm. And, and so when we see Jesus as 
daily bread, we fight off greed with gratitude because of his grace. Wow. That is and, the then the, and then the Lord's prayer just moves into forgiveness to forgive. And then ultimately lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And one of the things that I think people will find unique to the book is when 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 Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, we know from Hebrews 6, God doesn't lead us into temptation. God cannot sin. God gives us a way out of temptation. What is Jesus talking about? In mm -hmm. essence, Jesus is talking about after he was baptized through the Holy Spirit's prompting, he was in the wilderness for 40 days and he was tempted in three ways. Mm -hmm. Those same three temptations are found in Deuteronomy chapter six and Deuteronomy chapter eight. So Israel was tempted and failed. Jesus, the true king, the true Israelite, the true faithful Jew was tempted in three ways and he succeeded. When mm -hmm. Satan tried to tempt him, in case in point, Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. So Jesus defeated Satan for us to do it in us and through us. And then ultimate defeat came through his life, his death and resurrection. That's why Colossians 2, 13 says through 15 that he publicly shamed the demonic world. Wow. And so... Aaron, what, what I'm trying to do is give people not some simple or simplistic understanding of prayer, hmm. but uh, for us to really dive into the heart of God. It's really a theology of prayer. Don't tell anybody because hmm. the publishers go, the minute you say theology, people don't want to buy it. And I'm like, well, that's our problem is we're not anchoring ourselves in theology and doctrine. And so this book is a theology of really learning the why of prayer, the how of prayer, what to expect of prayer. But at the end of it, my prayers of people would, would say, oh my gosh, so you're telling me mm. Lord's prayer is actually a mini catechism of the life of Jesus wow. and the Lord's prayer is God's will for my life. Yeah. Dr. Gray, just a, a pause here. Your love for scripture. Is that something you've, I mean, since you came to Christ, is that, because that exudes, is, when you share, the, your love of scripture um, mm. is evident in your passion for scripture. Is that something that, it, is that something you've developed? Is that something that God gave you when you shared your salvation experience and love and thirst for scripture? Yeah, just just to pause a minute there on your love for scripture. Yeah, um, thank you. I, I think, number one, before I came to Jesus, as a football player, I knew this. If I studied my playbook, I could mm. play really, really good in the game. Mm. And what makes players really good is anticipation, mm. recognition of what's going to happen before it takes place. It's called film study, knowing your playbook. Yeah. And so before I became a Christian, my teammates with the Colts would call me textbook because I knew the plays so well. Well, the minute that I came to Jesus, I cracked open a Bible and it hit me like, so if my coaches had a playbook, then the ultimate coach has a playbook, the hmm. Bible. Hmm. So if you study this playbook in his game called life, you can play well yeah. because you get to know him. But then at another le 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 level, the more I read the scripture, the more I fell in love 
with Jesus. And the more I fell in love with Jesus, the more I became like him. And the more I became like him, the more I wanted to know him more and more and more and more. And so I have nothing to offer anybody but Jesus and his word. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be anchored in his word. Now, in John chapter five, verses 39 and 40, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. Now, let me pause here. The Pharisees were a group of Jewish men of about five to 7,000, and they were tasked with helping Israel live out the Torah. Mm-hmm. So to the 10 commandments they added 103, which made 613. And by the age of 12, in order to even be considered for Pharisee school, you had to know from Genesis to Malachi, like the big overarching themes. You had to know those things. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus is talking to him, he says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life, Mm -hmm. but the scriptures testify to me. Mm -hmm. So it's possible to study the scriptures and not know Jesus. So I love the scriptures because the scriptures led me to Jesus and I love Jesus. And that leads me to scripture. They cannot be divorced. And one of the things that I've seen over the years is I've seen people who know a lot of scriptures, Hmm. but don't know a lot of Jesus. And so, Hmm. yes, um, I love scripture because I love Jesus. And what is Derwin going to say to someone that matters. Uh, you know, um, when I was growing up as a kid listening to hip hop, there was a group that would say, I ain't got none for you, man. Like I ain't got none for you. Uh, but the text, but scripture. And I want to show myself studied and approved because there's a lot of people who are praying to God. Hmm. God is not answering their prayers and they're going, well, God must not be real. And Jesus is going, well, I'm not answering your prayers because they're not prayers. They're Mm. actually rubbing the lantern of the genie and hoping I do what you want. A lot of times people aren't praying. They're trying to manipulate God to do what they want him to do. Instead Mm. of aligning themselves to God's will, they want God to be aligned to their will. And God is saying, no, actually I'm a father and I want you to sit on my lap and I want to whisper to you who you are, what I've done to redeem you, the power you have in the spirit. I want to set you apart. Why? To reproduce the ministry and mission of Jesus at your job, at your school, at your play, in your marriage, in your parenting. Yeah. Amazing word. Amazing word. One of the things you, you talk about discovering God's kingdom um, through, the, through the Lord's Prayer uh, and our priestly role in it. And you share that the Abba kids uh, personify the kingdom. What are some characteristics and character qualities of Abba kids? And um, how are we as the body of Christ doing today being Abba kids? Yeah, that's a great question. So let me take a step back and give some definition because for, like I said, a lot of evangelical Protestants, we don't talk about the kingdom of God. We talk about salvation as though it's separate from the kingdom of God. So first of all, in the first century, second temple Jewish world, there would have been no Jewish person who said, I cannot wait for the Messiah to come back so I can go to heaven when I die. Hmm. That would have been foreign. The idea was, I want the Messiah to come to liberate us from the oppression 
of the Gentile Romans in the promised land so we can get about doing what God has called us to do as Jews. Because they had the Passover, which freed them from slavery, then Yom Kippur, which gave them forgiveness every year. And so following the Torah was not to become the people of God. It was an example of being the people of hmm. God. So they would have wanted the establishment of the kingdom. Well, Jesus comes, and when he comes, he doesn't just want to make Israel great again. He's coming to show the king of the kingdom has come. <clears throat> Salvation is in his hands. He has done the redemptive work to bring about the family of Abraham, which is all nations will be blessed. Hmm. This multi-ethnic family <clears throat> is redeemed, blood-bought, blood-washed, filled with the spirit. And through obedience now, <clears throat> we image forth the kingdom of God as his royal priest. Hmm. Let me back up. <clears throat> In Genesis, when... The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, let's make man in our image. In the ancient Near Eastern world, whenever a king would go into a new land and conquer it, immediately he would have statues of himself placed to image forth his glory. Hmm. Well, Adam and Eve and all of humanity were to be living statues, imaging forth the glory of God through the power of God. Hmm. The Garden of Eden was actually a temple. How do we know? Because when Adam and Eve were thrown out of the out of the garden, there were two mighty angels who were protecting the garden, just like the Ark of the Covenant. Hmm. The mighty angels are on the sides of the Ark of the Covenant. So Adam and Eve were to be a priest. What is a priest? A priest is someone who mediates between God and man. That's why throughout the Bible, there's the priest in Israel. There's the chief priest. And then Jesus is the great priest. And 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Every believer is a royal priest, meaning we're living statues to image forth the glory of God. We don't do that in our own power. How do we do that? By abiding and sustaining in the loving initiatives of Jesus. Hmm. So back to your point, the kingdom of God means that we are reestablished in who God's created us to be, to walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit's power, to be a mediator between God and man as Christ hmm. Jesus lives in us and through us. So one of the reasons why a lot of Christians get bored in their faith is because we're not fully exploring what that means. Like what can be more exciting than waking up every morning and saying, I'm a priest of the living God. Not only am I a priest, but I got the power of the living God in me. I got the presence of the living God in me. Yeah. I got the provision of the living God in me. Yeah. And so what I tried to do is when I talked about your kingdom come is really explore and expand the beauty of what it means to pray your kingdom come, because ultimately the kingdom of God looks like Jesus in human flesh. Mm -hmm. It looks like the, the total reality of Jesus himself. Good word. Good word.
one of the other things that really jumped out to me was um, developing a war mindset. And um, many of the the people that are listening into this are living uh, overseas. And um, the idea that there is an enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy is something yeah. that um, we're all familiar with. I, but you you did a phenomenal job of just unpacking that. Um, and could you just share, you know, what this this war wartime mindset? Why it's what are some reasons it's important for today? And um, and just could you share just a little bit about the weapons God has given us? And um, and our you talk about our sometimes we drift towards popularity, performance, and possessions, and uh, and some reasons those those really don't work too well. Yeah, you know, well, first of all, whenever you use the word war from a Christian perspective, and if you're overseas internationally, people think of horrible things like the Inquisitions and the Crusades. And even here in the United States of America, there's a lot of Christians who uh, they're anything but blessed are the peacemakers for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) So when I talk about wartime mindset, I'm alluding to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6. Hmm. And he talks about, you know, standing firm, being strong in the Lord. And he makes an incredible delineation, which is really important. And I highlight this in God. Do you hear, hear me? Is that our battle is not against other human beings. Hmm. Our battle is against the cosmic dark powers. Hmm. People are pawns of dark powers. Hmm. And so Oftentimes we get mad at the people instead of thinking strategically of how to set them free. Uh, I'm a big fan of the movie called The Matrix and Matrix 4 is about to come out. Some people may or may not know what it is, but I've been following Keanu Reeves in The Matrix since 1999. So I'm invested. But but the, the story is this. Human beings are actually in a dream world as batteries being used by machines, computers. And people have been set free from that dream world. So they go back into the matrix to set other people free, but the people really don't believe it because they're under the control of the machines. And then the machines can also get inside of the people. Hmm. So those who've been set free have the task of convincing, persuading, and fighting against the machines to set other humans free. But sometimes the humans are occupied by the machines and they fight the human beings. But then the one comes and his name is Neo, which means new. Hmm. And Neo comes and Neo has incredible superpowers to set others free. The machines can't stop him, right? Yeah. So Jesus is the one Hmm. who comes to set us free through his life, his death, his resurrection. He sets us free so that we can set others free. But a lot of times we're making war with people Hmm. instead of fighting the war that we've already won against the cosmic dark powers. And so our weapons are love, faith, and hope. Hmm. So, God gives us armor for this battle, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. And let me pause here. The helmet of salvation, uh, brothers and sisters, is not just God going, you get to go to heaven when you die. Hmm. If that's your view, it's an anemic view. 
Sozo uh, means I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I'm being saved from the power of sin. I will be saved from the presence of sin. So justification, sanctification, glorification is just not how we get into it. So we want the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ to constantly be swirling in our minds. The scene of the crime is your mind. And so we want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The breastplate of righteousness. God not only declares us righteous in Christ, so therefore, whatever comes to us, we filter it through the righteousness of Christ and it protects our hearts. We have the shield of faith. We have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We got the belt of truth. We have the gospel of peace on our feet. So God gives us everything we need for this battle. And notice The front part is totally covered. You know what's not? The back part. And here's Mm -hmm. why. It's because the gates of hell will not prevail against God's kingdom. Stop running from a defeated foe. Hmm. 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 Wow. Don't run from it like we have already run. One, you run into the battle knowing that we are conquerors. We're more than conquerors in him who loved us. And then finally... Lead us not into to temptation. When you look at the temptations that Jesus, in essence, went through, and I, I got this from Henry Nowen and Pete Scazzaro, but the three temptations that Satan is always going to use is this. You are what you do. Hmm. You are what others think. Hmm. You are what you have. Hmm. Those are the three things. That's what he did to Israel. That's what he did to Adam and Eve. That's what he does to us, and that's what he did to Jesus. But Jesus showed us the keys to victory. In essence, no, I am not what I do. Hmm. I am what Christ has done. My identity, my value, my worth is found in Jesus. I am not what other people think. I am who Christ says I am. Now, in 2021, people will use that as a means to live an unholy life. No, when you know who you are in Christ, holiness is the byproduct. Hmm. Finally, uh, we are not what we possess. We are the possessions of Christ, hmm. of infinite worth, of infinite value. And those three truths is what guides us. That's all the devil has. Yeah. <clears throat> That's all demonic powers have is those three lies. If he can get you to believe a lie, he can get you to live a lie. If God can get you to believe the truth, we can begin to live the truth. And what does the truth do? John 8, 32, the truth will set us free. Set us free from what? Sin and death and evil. We're set free from something for something to be royal priests displaying his kingdom. Good word and challenging word. One last question. What What's something that uh, about the book... Um, that I should have asked that I didn't ask or a question you thought, man, that would have been a really good question that Aaron didn't, when I sent you the questions, I didn't send the question there or something you would just like to highlight from the book. Yeah. You know, what I would say is the question um, could have been, why did you write the book? You. All right. So, so Dr. Gray, why did you write the book? Um, I wrote the book. Number one is because I want God's people to pray to really pray because when God's people really, really pray, something happens to God's people. Hmm. We are transformed. We are aligned 
to the Father's will. We are aligned to the Son's love. We tap into the Spirit's power so that Mm. the glory of his kingdom would shine upon this dark planet. I I wrote the book because we have too many consumers of Jesus and not participators of Jesus. Consumerism is, okay, I came to faith. I get to go to heaven when I die. Okay, Jesus, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. Instead of Jesus now, Hmm. I'm united to you. Hmm. I'm alive in you through the spirit's power. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Brothers and sisters, that's where the joy is. That's where the happiness is. That's where the purpose is. That's where the power is. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Amen. Amen. Dr. Gray, it has been a honor and pleasure to spend some time with you today. Would you pray for the audience and pray that God will use? We'll put the links um, so people can get the book um, and put the links for that there. And um, yeah, would you just pray for us before we jump in? Yeah, you know what I'm going to you know what I'm going to do here is I'm going to pray a prayer from page 17 of God. Do you hear me? And this is our prayer. Heavenly Father. Teach me to pray. I long to learn. I confess that most of the time I pray just to get things. Rarely do I pray to get you. Rarely do I pray simply to be with you. Today I choose to enroll in your school of prayer. Teach me, oh God, how to pray. In Jesus' name, who is the Lord of life and the one who gives me access to your ear, thank you for hearing me. Amen.